morning. Well, if we've not met before, my name is Julie. I'm one of the pastors at Emerge Church. I love being here in this house. I love hearing you worship. You are amazing worshipers. So just give yourselves a little pat on the back for that. Every time I come, I'm always astounded just by the hunger in worship and how you guys lean in. And you're just a really friendly bunch. You're all smiling at me already. It's really nice. We love that. And so thank you, Pastor Jared and Debbie, for inviting me here. And I bring welcome from our senior pastors, Pastor Mark and Nina Elmendorp. They send their love. And uh, we're just so excited about what God's doing in the northern suburbs of Brisbane. We know we've had a kind of a rough couple of weeks and different things with everything that's been going on. But North Brisbane's strong. We're not like... You know, things happen and we're like, oh my goodness, we, we just get on with it, don't we? And so, good on you for being here this morning. And it's really nice to see your faces. Like, I can see, obviously, no masks for most of us. And so, it's nice to see your smiling faces. So, you can smile at me and I'll know that you're smiling this morning. Ordinarily, I just have to look at your eyes really intently to know if you're smiling or you're frowning at me. That's okay. Well, this morning... I want to speak to you about something that's kind of very dear to me. It's actually part of our story and our testimony. And I've entitled it this morning, Lessons from the Long Road. And I wanted to share, I was actually going to bring something else. And then on the way over in the car, God was like, no, I want you to talk about this, Julie. I want you to tell a little bit of your story. So I'm a bit breathless because I'm like eight months pregnant. And apparently the baby doesn't think my lungs need a lot of room or something. So... (laughs) If, you, if I'm getting breathless, I'm, I'm okay. I'm not going to keel over. It's just Bub's just having a party in there and lungs, lungs are secondary at the minute. But I wanted to tell you a little bit of our story. So myself and my husband, Neil, we've been married for 15 years. It's very cliche. We met in Bible college and uh, we got married after Bible college. And honestly, we just kind of got stuck into serving God in however we could. Neil was a youth pastor um, in a small town in the um, north of England, in Manchester, just outside Manchester. And really, we were happy in that church, and we were just we were happy to spend the rest of our days there. And um, the church went through some big ups and downs, and we kind of saw every cycle of church life except a building program. And um, and things were really, really bad. And every year we kept asking God, God, can we please leave? Because being in this church is difficult. And we're on leadership and it was hard. And, and every year God would go, no, no, you can't leave. You have to stay. I'd be like, oh, okay, oh, good. And so we did that for seven years. And then one year when we weren't asking to leave, God was like, right, okay, it's time to go now. So we're like, oh, that was a real shock to us. And so we ended up being in a church maybe about 40 minutes away, which in Australia standards doesn't sound like a long way away. But in the UK, that's like traveling four hours to go to church. So everyone thought we were totally insane. We would have passed about, I don't know, 120 churches on the way on that 40-minute journey. We thought we were really crazy. And, um, and we got just stuck in, and it was a real time of healing for us. And we met this incredible couple, and we just, have you ever met somebody and you just click straight away? And you're like, oh, you're our kind of people. Like, we just get on. And, um, and so we really, it was like this David and Jonathan experience. It was very bizarre for us. We'd never had that before. And, and we really felt God say to us, I, we want you, God was like, I want you to support them and go with them wherever they're going to go. So we were like, okay. So we said that to them. And, and then they didn't really say anything. 
And we were like, oh no, we've been those friends that came on too strong. You know, those really awkward people that misread the situation. <laughs> we're like, oh no. And so they didn't say anything for a week. And they came back and they were like, did you mean what you said? And we were like, yeah, yeah, we meant what we said. And they were like, oh, well, we're going to Australia. I was like, oh, <laughs> That's a tad further than we were thinking. We thought, you know, maybe London. It's like the other end of the world in the UK. And, you know, maybe Cheshire, which was like two hours away. That's like you go for a day trip to Cheshire, like a whole day trip's a big deal. And so they were like, did you mean what you said? We were like, actually, we did. You could have said we were going to China or, you know, somewhere nice like Canada and we would have gone with you. But, you know, Australia it is. And so it was a heart decision for us. So we... We could have done it really safely. We could have, I was a teacher at the time, Neil was on staff at church, and we could have done it where we took a sabbatical and my job would have been there and our house, we could have just rented it. But we felt like God asked us to go all in. He came and he challenged us and said, I want you to um, give away your house. And I knew that was God because I would never have that thought, ever. And he was like, I want you to give away your house, I want you to give away most of your things, I want you to give up your job, give your car away. And I want you just to go all in for Australia. And we're like, oh, okay. <laughs> That's not quite what we were thinking again. But okay, we'll do that. And at the middle of that, at the start of when that was happening, it was about nine years ago. A year before that, we'd, we'd been married for, I think, about five years by that point. We're like, okay, now we're, you know, now we've been married for five years. We know everything. Now we're ready to be parents. So we started trying to have children. <laughs> And so those two things were running concurrently. We were trying to have children, and then we were coming over to Australia. And the strangest thing happened when we came to Australia. Neil, who'd been here before, when he wasn't a Christian, he was a backpacker. That tells you all you need to know. And uh, so he came here and hated it because he came in August thinking it was going to be really sunny because that's summer in the UK and it rained the entire time. And so he came back from Australia and was like, I'm never going to Australia ever again. I never wanted to come to Australia because I'd seen all the YouTube videos of huntsmen dropping down from the sun visors and wet koalas and kangaroos that punch people. I'd watched all of those videos. I was like, I'm not going there. It's too far. The wildlife's really aggressive. Like, who can afford to go to Australia for three weeks on holiday? I can't do that. But then God led us here and we put our feet on Brisbane Airport and the tarmac and it was like we were home. It's the strangest thing ever. A place that I'd never been, a place that Neil swore he'd never come back to. And it was like just this sense of we are home. And so that was really interesting for us because we'd never been here. And that started what then became a nine-year journey to us getting the right kind of visa for us to be able to stay. And there were an enormous amount of ups and downs in that journey, mostly downs, where... <laughs> We were trying, we came in on the wrong visa to start with and that wasn't our fault and all sorts of different things. And so we had this very long, stressful, anybody who's dealt with the visa department knows this, long, long, stressful paperwork, money, time, intensive journey of will we actually ever be able to stay in Australia? Will we actually ever be able to do what it is that we feel God has called us to. Because when you put your feet somewhere and you feel like you're home, it's like a promise from God, yeah? So we were like, we know we're supposed to be here, but the visa department didn't quite agree with that all at the same time. And so 
that was that was one set of journeys going on long term, very, very stressful, really stressful. And we saw so many miracles in that where we had to go back to the UK for a little while and we needed an email to come through. And they said, it's going to be like six months, like don't bother. And then our church, Emerge Church, called a prayer meeting and we were on the big screen and it was like two o'clock in the morning for us because of the time difference. And, and they're all praying and then I get a ping on my computer and an unexpected email came through for no reason aside from the goodness of God that was like, you've been granted what it is that you need to come back. And so we were like waving our arms frantically in the prayer meeting on the big screen trying to get everybody's attention as they're like storming heaven for us. We're like, stop praying. Like, it's happened. Like 10 minutes into the prayer meeting, they were like, ah, we'll go home then. Okay. That was literally what happened. So that journey was running, and concurrently, this journey of us trying to become parents was running concurrently. And that was a long journey. That was 10 years of a journey, and many, many, many ups and downs in that journey. And we always felt like the visa and becoming parents, were, it was tied together somehow. Maybe about four years in, we recognized that that was the case, that one was dependent on the other for some reason. And so in... What would it be? June of last year, after we'd gone through this entire, like, really long process with the visa, and um, we got this unexpected email again through, and there's a picture of us just being absolutely shocked because the, we'd had a phone call two weeks earlier from our visa agent who said, it's going to be at least two years before you're here, and obviously with all the border closures, you can't go anywhere, so I had to ring my mum and say, mum, I even you know, when coronavirus finally disappears. I can't come home. I can't see you. If anything happens to anybody, we can't come for at least two years. And then a week later, an email came through saying, we don't know why this has happened. We don't know why they've decided to do this, but they've granted the visa that you need to allow you to get on a permanent residency pathway. And we're like, oh, amazing. Thank you, Jesus. So good. And then about six weeks after that, after going through lots and lots of different medical procedures, we find out that we were pregnant with our first baby. And so those two things happened. Yeah, we were really pleased about it. <laughs> those two things happened within about six weeks of each other. But that was a 10 and a nine-year journey. And so I then got really reflective after that because it had been such a long journey to get to where we were. And then suddenly it was all okay. All, all my prayer points were like done and dusted in one thing. Like after six weeks, my entire prayer list, like for, for ourselves, not for other people, but everything that we wanted, it was, it was done. I had like crossed them off and I was like, wow. And it got me thinking and reflecting about the lessons that we'd learned in that journey. Because when you're a baby Christian, right, and, and something's going wrong for you, and you call out to God, and you're like, God, I really need your help with this. God's really gracious, isn't he? And he usually comes through really quick when you're a new Christian, because you need that encouragement. You need that kind of hook to hang your faith on, of that God is real, and he does come through. But when you've been a Christian for quite a while, it seems sometimes that the, the length of time from asking to receiving kind of gets extended and stretched a bit. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm seeing some nods around the room. And so... It got me thinking about, well, for this nine and ten year journey, what have I learned? What have I, what has God put in my life? What's the gold 
that he's deposited there? What are the lessons that I can pull out of it? Because I don't want to waste it. I don't just want to be like, yay, that's nice, and then move on, and then never think about it. But I wanted to pull out some things that God did graciously in our lives. And so this morning, I've got four things Four lessons from the long road that I want to encourage you with. Because I know that in a room of this size, there'll be people here and you'll be saying, 10 years, I will wish my story was 10 years. You might be in the multiple, multiple decades. And there might be things that are going on long-term for you. Long-term unanswered prayers. It might be a spouse or a sickness or an illness or a job situation or, you know, a child that's away from the Lord or something that you've really been praying for for a long time. And it feels a little bit like, well, how long do I hang on for? How long do I keep asking this prayer for? How long do I keep praying for this person's salvation? How long do I keep believing for? And hopefully this morning, these four lessons that I've got are going to bring courage and strength and just encouragement to your heart this morning. And so I'm going to pray for that and we're going to get into the word. Amen? All right, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and active and it's able to achieve much. And so I pray this morning that as I speak, God, that the words of heaven will drop into people's hearts. I pray for soft hearts and minds and spirits to be open. I pray that Holy Spirit, you direct this message and that you help us to apply it to our hearts however we need to. And that you accomplish what you want this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's the first lesson that I learned. I learned about God's goodness. I learned about his goodness. There was a verse that um, really I needed, and I needed it a lot last year. And it's from Psalm 27, verse 13. It says this. It says, I will, I'm confident that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. It's a beautiful, beautiful psalm, Psalm 27. And when we talk about God's goodness, I think often what comes under attack when we're going through a long-term journey is the goodness of God. Is if God is really good, then why? If God really cares, then what's he playing at? If God is really good, then why is this happening to me or my family or this situation at this time? And that attack comes because goodness isn't just something that God does. It's not just an action of him that his actions are good, but it's who he is. Psalm 119 verse 68 puts it so succinctly. The Bible's so clever. It says, you are good and you do good. Teach me your statutes. That's, that's just really pithy and like distilled. God is good, he does good. And so when an attack comes, when an assault comes on the goodness of God, it's not just on what God is doing in our lives, it's an attack on who God is to you, the very foundation of what you pin your faith on. And I think it's really easy for that to be attacked because we live in a world of not good. If you just watch the news for 10 minutes this week, you will not come away from watching the news going, our world is in a really good place right now. We would watch the news and see the reports and see the things happening in Ukraine and the different things that are going on. And we look at it and we're like, well, it's easy to see that that's not good. And so when we're surrounded with all this messaging 
that is not good and all these things that are not good and not good cells. Not good um, is very clickable. That's why when people are writing articles and different things, they'll often phrase it in the negative. They'll phrase it in like 10 ways to not ruin your marriage or 10 ways to not have a kid that's like a terror. They'll, they'll often, because we naturally click and engage with things that are negative more than a positive. And, and that's just a fact of how it is because that sells more. And so when we're surrounded so much with not good, it's really easy for that just to infiltrate us and for us to then be thinking and bringing that thinking into church and into our experience with God. And it's easy to transfer that not goodness onto God, if that makes sense. That we can question God's motives and his intentions. When we're going through a not good, when it's a long-term not good, our visa journey, not good. Infertility, really not good. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. And it's really easy in those moments to transfer that and to decide that God's intentions and his motives aren't good. Then if God's really good, why? Why can't he do this? Why is he not coming through? Why is he not solving this problem? We love him. We serve him. We go to church. We give our tithe. We serve on the teams. We do our different things. Why why is this happening in the way that it's happening? If God is good, then how come? And often we see God through the filter of how we understand goodness. But it's important to realize this morning that we see in part. We see in such a small part and we're serving an eternal, supernatural God who doesn't see things the way that we see things, who doesn't do things the way that we do things. And so often it's really easy for us to look at something that we think God is doing or allowing or not acting in. And it's easy for us to go, well, that's not good. But we don't really have a good handle on what is good because we only see in part. It's normal for us as a created being to have no clue what a creator God is doing. Because if we did, that would make us on a level with God, and then that would be a scary thing. The Bible says it this way. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so it's really normal for us to not understand what God is doing. And sometimes we can get a bit freaked out when we're like, God, it, this doesn't seem good, and I don't really see how you're working in this. But that's just a normal natural part of being a human that we don't get what an eternal creator God is doing and I think when we have that verse you know that I'll be confident I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living that for me was an anchor it was something that I could put into the ground so in February of last year we'd been to a few doctors and um and they said, all right, this route is your only route that you're able to go down, which was IVF. And we struggled with that a very long time because of the moral implications of it. And we didn't think that we could do it. And then we spoke to some people that were a lot more clever than us and worked out how we could do that in a way that we felt that was honoring to God in the way that was morally correct. And so we were in that process. And we'd been in our first cycle. And... Um, and we had an embryo. And, and then they rang us and they said, it's not growing the way that it should do. So 
we kind of put, pardon the pun, all our eggs in this basket. It's really expensive. And so we put all our eggs in this basket and, and they rang us and they said, it's not growing the way that it should do. And we really felt to pray and intercede. And so we did, that's what we did for five days. And so, and they rang us and they said, we don't know what's happened. It's amazing. But it started growing again and it's all on track and it's all, it's all going well. So we'd had like this massive high, enormous low, back up to a big high again. And it got into a place where they were happy to transfer the embryo. And so we were proclaiming and declaring and had the worship music on and all of our words and our promises and everything. And we were really excited and the team of people praying. And it was, you know, we were... Well, like, surely, surely, because it wasn't going well, and then now it is going well after God had asked us to fast and pray. And so we're like, yes. And they transferred it, and then we got to the day where you get to test, and you have to see, is the, has the embryo found its home, and is it all going well? And on the same day, we had two experiences. So bear in mind, we've been going infertility for 10 years, never had one positive pregnancy test in that entire time. So on that one day... We got a yes. It was going really well. We were like, oh, amazing, like super, super excited. And on the same day, we then got a no that actually I was miscarrying at the same time. And so it was like this, just this enormous roller coaster. It's just the bizarrest day I think I've ever had. And it was like everything that we'd ever hoped of, 10 years of hopes and dreams and prayers and everything. And it was all like, yes, yes, yes. And then it just felt like it just all got ripped away. Like the rug just got pulled from underneath our feet. And I know that some of you in this room would understand what that feels like. And as I was going to God, and I was like, this is, an, this is a not good. <laughs> this is a not good day. We can objectively, all of us, look at that day and be like, that's not a good day. That's not a day that you would wish on anybody. And, and I'm coming to God and I'm like, what's that about? What's that about? Just don't give us a yes. Like, I can cope with no's. I've done 10 years of no's. I can understand no's. But don't give me a yes and then take it away. Like, don't do that journey for me. And then that's when he gave me this verse in Psalm 27, verse 13, which is that, I'll be confident that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And it was again this attack on the goodness of God. Do I understand why that happened? Absolutely not. Can I look at it now and go, you know, that was a good thing? No, it wasn't. It wasn't a good thing. But can I see that the goodness of God works all things together for those who love him? Yes, I can. I can see that. That actually that it's an attack on who God really is. And in that moment, I had to decide, do I still believe that God is good, even when this is happening? And I'm like, you know, I'm a pastor. I really serve Jesus. Like, and I'm like, come on, you know, do we not get like a break or a discount or something like, you know, some nice little fast track because, you know, ministry is difficult. But no, we don't. None of us do. Because the attack comes at the goodness of God. But when you're on a long road, let me encourage you, when that attack comes, sink your anchor a little bit deeper. Plant your feet a little bit firmer. Dig your soul into the word of God a little bit more and lean on his goodness. Because the word of God says that we can be confident that we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. 
the second um, lesson that I learned, the thing that really got attacked on these two journeys was the sovereignty of God. Now, depending on where your theology is on this, you'll kind of rest heavier or lighter on the sovereignty of God. And you can argue it both ways from the Bible, so we're not going to get into that this morning. But I want to share with you a verse that really helped me, and maybe it'll help you this morning. It's in Proverbs 21, verse 1. It says this, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And some versions will say, um, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and like mighty streams, he will turn it whichever way he wants. And that became an anchor for our soul in our visa journey, because really it felt like the lovely Australian visa department had the final say over everything, because we sent all our money to them, we sent all our paperwork to them, and it felt like they were the ones that had the yes or the no over our lives. And long roads challenge God's sovereignty, challenge his power and authority. Does he actually know what he's doing? Is he able to make circumstances change? It's an attack on the truth that ultimately God is in control, that God knows what he's doing. And the base truth of this is that if we're a believer, we have to believe that God is sovereign, that he knows what he's doing, that he is in control of our lives. Not like a puppet master where we don't want to do something and he makes us do it, but that he's the one that opens doors. He's the one that closes doors. He's the one that brings opportunity. He's the one that directs our paths and our steps. He's the one that brings the direction to our life. And it may often feel like a circumstance or a person holds that authority. So if you're going for a job interview or you're trying to get into a school or, you know, you're trying to have a business or, you know, you're going for a bank loan or something or you're in, you want desiring a ministry position, whatever it may be, it can often feel like, well, if this person says no, well, then that door is closed. Like, there's nothing I can do about that. For us, it felt like at times, if, if the visa department says no, well, then that's that. We have to go home. And it feels like they have the authority. But that's not true for the believer. For the believer, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then he is the ultimate authority in your life. Everybody else is subservient under him. He'll use different authorities to direct us. But he's ultimately the one that holds that authority. He's the one that's sovereign. He holds your life in his hands. He opens doors no man can shut. He orders your steps, and he knows the plans and purposes he has for you, the Bible tells us. And so if it feels like somebody else is in control, that somebody else is holding the keys to your advancement or your breakthrough, then that's what's under attack. It's the sovereignty of God that's under attack in your life. And you need to lean heavier. You need to lean again on the fact that actually God is in control, that he knows what he's doing. And if if somehow you believe that somebody else can stop your path into ministry or stop a job for you or say no to a visa and it not be worked out in the sovereignty of God, then what you've done is you've placed that person above God. You've put them above God in the position of authority and power. Because the reality is, is if God wants us here, which obviously he did, then he will make a way. 
Somebody has to sign a piece of paper. The visa department have to do the paperwork. But ultimately, whether we're in Australia or not, that's up to God. He decides. The visa department just does the paperwork that says, says that. And if they'd said no, then because we lean on the sovereignty of God, well, then God doesn't want us in Australia. And then you don't want to be in Australia because God doesn't want you here. You want to be where God wants you to be. So when we're coming to job interviews and different things, I think a really safe prayer that I always pray is, God, if this is of you, can you just fling the doors wide open? If it's not of you, can you just slam them shut? Make it really clear. I don't want an ambiguous kind of the door's half open and the light's on, but there's a door stopping the door. I don't want that. I want it really clear. If it's of you, fling the doors open. If it's not you, slam them shut. And then that way, you can be certain and sure that you're in the will of God, that you're in the sovereignty of God that way. Because if God doesn't allow you or doesn't open a door for you to get that job or the promotion or the business loan or whatever it is that you're pushing for, well, then... You don't want it anyway. If God stops you getting into that workplace, it's not the place that he wanted you to be, and you don't want to be there. He's got somewhere better for you. He's got a different group of people that he needs you to be around. So you can rest in that. You can rest in the sovereignty of God. The third thing, the lesson that we learned, and this one's a really tricky one, is this. It's God's timing. God's timing. And... um. It's a really funny one, this, because we all struggle with this. God's timing comes down to his plan and his purpose. And a verse that really helped me, and maybe it'll help you this morning, is from Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11. It says, he makes everything beautiful in its time. Which sounds so nice, doesn't it? Like you could totally laminate that, put it on your fridge, do some cross-stitch, get it on a nice tea towel. It's, it's like a nice book verse, I would call it. You know, like a ni- nice little thing that's lovely, a little Pinterest, nice little Instagram post. God makes everything beautiful in its time. But when you're in the middle of God's timing, it really sucks, doesn't it? Can we just be honest? <laughs> That, it, that does not feel beautiful when you're in the middle of God's timing. Because what we all know in this room is that God's timing and our timing are on totally different time frames, yes? How we think things should go and how God thinks things should go and the timing of those two things, I'm not sure they ever meet up. As I was thinking back, I was like, have I ever asked God for something or have I ever been like pursuing something and God's actually done it? when I think it should happen. And in thinking back over the whole of my life, you know, I've been a Christian a long time, and I'm like, no, there's been no occasion where I've been like, yes, me, my timing and God's timing met up perfectly. No, they didn't. God's timing always seems to be on a different clock to me. And then I was thinking, oh, maybe when I met Neil, maybe when I met my husband, because I wanted to get married early, and I did, I got married at 21, met Neil when I was 18. And then, but even that, when I went to Bible college, I'd just broken up from a relationship. And um, so I went to Bible college feeling really holy. And I was like, no, I'm going to be devote a whole year to Jesus. And I'm going to not date anybody. And I'm just going to, you know, me and Jesus, we're going to journal for a whole year. And we're just going to read our Bible together. And I'm going to have worship music. And it's going to be really great and lovely. And that's just going to be me and Jesus for a whole year. And then Neil showed up. I was like, oh, 
I really like you and <laughs> he really liked me and then oh, it, was just a, it, was, it was just an interesting period of time. So even that, that wasn't my timing because I was like, I'm going to do this whole year where me and Jesus are just going to be best friends for a year. It's going to be great. And then Neil just appears on the scene. And so I think our timing and God's timing very, very rarely meet up. And I think this issue with timing, this struggle that we have with waiting, this problem that we have with things actually being beautiful in God's timing, is because our society constantly trains us to be impatient and that things aren't happening quick enough and, you know, microwaving your soup, you know, it used to be like three minutes and that used to be awesome because it used to take 10 minutes, didn't it, on the pan, on the hob. And now, three minutes in the microwave just feels like an eternity. You're like, oh my goodness, and go mow the lawns and like mop my floors. And three minutes feels like a long time. I found myself the other day, I was watching a TikTok video. It was a minute video. And I got impatient on the minute video because this lady was waffling and she was talking about her dog. And I was like, just get to the dog. Like, I don't care about, just show me the dog. And I was like, oh my goodness, Julie, you can't even wait 60 seconds to see this dog. And it's because our society has become much more instant, much quicker. We want things now. And so after pay was a thing, you know, a few years ago. Now this year, it's access your pay that you don't even have yet. It's like the before pay thing that they brought in where you can get an advance on your pay that's going to come. And I'm like, that's getting even more crazy because we're so impatient. We want things yesterday. We buy things on credit. We, we do the afterpay thing. We like things when we want them. And our society is built for that. We like our coffee quick. We don't want to wait. We like things, we get impatient as we go around McDonald's if the Coke machine's like busted or like the ice cream machine because, you know, we have to wait in the parking bay and that feels like a real big deal to sit in the McDonald's parking bay and wait for like five minutes for the instant food to be brought out to us. It all feels, oh my goodness, because we're trained to want things now when I want them in my time. That's not how God works at all, as you well know. And often we can bring that into church and into our Christian walk, that we can go home after a service and say, well, I don't feel God in worship this morning, as if us having some emotional experience in worship is the barometer of what good worship is or isn't go home and critique the preacher. And I know I'm not going to do this this morning, but so another preacher, you'll go home and critique them and go, well, I didn't get anything out of that. As if, as kind of feeling like some amazing revelation is the barometer of what a good church service is. We get disappointed if our emotions aren't stirred. We get upset if our consumption isn't the highest measure of success. We get we kind of hop off life groups and connect groups and different things because, you know, I'm not making lifelong friendships within the six months that I've invested into a life group and it's just this group just isn't for me and so I'm just going to hop out of it because we're so used to things being quick that when things take a long time, we, we shortcut the process. We're like, this is too long. I can't wait for this. I don't like that. But good things come to those who wait. 12-hour ribs are amazing because they're 12 hours. Two-hour ribs, not as good because only two hours. 12-hour ribs, 
absolutely impeccable because they've had the time go into it. That's why all the ladies in the room love the slow cookers because we put it on in the morning, set and forget. And then at the end of the day, you've got an incredible meal. Well, why is it incredible? Because it's been cooking for eight hours. That's why it's good. Good things take time. And our timing and God's timing so rarely matches up. Because, and again, this comes back to the first point, how, how God works things together for the good of those who love him and how we would work things together for the good of those who love him are two different things. And God often is on a slow cooker timing and we want a Macca's drive through timing. God's like, nah, 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 nah. You think you want that, but really what you want is you want 12-hour ribs. And that's what I'm trying to do. That's often what I think God's trying to do. Is God's trying to do a 12-hour rib work in our life with the seasoning and the sauce and it falls off and it's great. And, but we, we don't want to wait for that. We want two-minute chicken nuggets. God's like, no, you don't. You really don't. You want to wait for the 12-hour ribs. And either when it comes to God's timing, we trust that God knows the end from the beginning, that he actually knows what he's doing, and that he's going to bring every good thing that we need when it's the right time, or we don't. I've had many, many, many conversations with God about what I think the right time for us to have parents would be. Because I've watched my entire friendship group get pregnant, and then get pregnant again, and then get pregnant again on the third children, and then we moved to Australia, and then I made a new friendship group, who then all got pregnant, and then got pregnant again with their second group, and then our churches merged, and then we had another friendship group who then all started getting pregnant. And I was having many conversations with God about now would be a great time. Now would be a good time. I know before I said it was a good time, but now is like a really good time. And God's like, no, nah, I'm doing a 10-year work, Julie. I'm doing a 10-year work in your life. But had he said it was a 10-year work, I would have been like, okay, 10 years. Not ideal. But if I know when the end point's coming, I can wait. But he doesn't do that, does he? He just sets the slow cooker and it's just going. And then the moment after you get what you want, the moment after it all falls into place, then that's the moment of clarity where you're like, ah, of course God makes everything beautiful in his time. But nine years and 364 days and 23 hours and 59 minutes and 59 seconds, up to that point, you don't know that it's coming. And you've got to trust in God's timing, that he makes everything beautiful in its time. We've seen that now. And I can say that confidently now. But I preached this message last year, before we had our yes. And I would say it as confidently then as I do now, that God's timing is perfect, that he knows what he's doing, and he brings it to us in his time. And either we trust that we serve a God who knows the end from the beginning, or we don't. And if you're in that place of, Julie, I don't. I don't trust that at the minute. Well done for being honest. There were many times in that 10-year journey where I couldn't have said yes to that. If somebody had said to me, do you really, really, like at the bottom of your soul, trust that God's timing is perfect? I would have been like, I'll say that I do because I'm supposed to say that because I'm a pastor. But really, if it really comes push to shove, no, I don't believe that. 
And that's the journey that God took us on, is can I say that without having the answer? Can I put that anchor in the ground without having the evidence to back it up? Can I just trust in God's word enough that that is enough, whether I get my answer or not? And God works with that honesty. So if you're in that place and you're like, I just don't know, Julie. I just don't know if I can trust God's timing. That's okay. Go to God with that because he knows that's where, how you feel anyway. And take that to him and say, God, I'm really struggling with this. I'm really struggling with being able to see your goodness and your sovereignty and your timing. I don't really know how to walk through this. And I promise you, his grace and his mercy will meet you in that place of need. I think God's timing is often the most confusing part of being a Christian. I think it's often the thing that even even those of us that have been Christians a long time, and, and I'm talking to a room where people have been Christians for decades and love the Lord for decades, and it's really inspiring to me to be in this sort of room. But I think even those of us who've been loving the Lord a long, long time are still quite confused sometimes by his timing, and that's okay. Sometimes God's gracious, and he just gives us a little glimpse of breakthrough in somebody else's life. And then that gives us the courage and the confidence to keep pressing on until we see it in our own life. He's the same God. The same God that's bringing breakthrough for somebody else. It's the same God that loves you and is bringing your breakthrough in its perfect time. Last point is this. It's that God is sufficient. He's complete and he's full. It says this in Psalm 84 verse 11. With you I lack no good thing. About four years into our journey with infertility, God came to me and, and challenged me and said, better is with this verse, which was better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. And what he said to me is, Julie, what does it not say in that verse? And I was like, I've got no idea what that means. I don't know. And he's like, well, it doesn't say better is one day in your courts with a baby than a thousand elsewhere. And Julie, I need to know that even if this never happens for you and Neil, that you will still love me, that you'll still serve me, and that you'll still understand that actually the house of God is still better, the presence of God is still better than any life that you can imagine with what you want in it. And are you okay with that? And again, my answer was, no, I'm really not okay with that. <laughs> it's not a good deal. No deal. <laughs> so it took many, many, many months of soul searching before I could come to the place where I could say, even if this never happens, even if we never become parents, even if God never gives us the desires of our heart, even if we never see it, then we will still love him, we will still serve him, we won't be bitter, we won't feel like second-class citizens, we will still give our lives to the kingdom of God and we'll do it wholeheartedly because better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I don't need anything else. What I need is the presence of God. And on that journey... And our visa journey, what I realized is that we were often grieving stability. I wanted a stability. I wanted a certainty. That's my personality. I'm, I'm a planner. I like to know things in advance, which is often why I think God's like, we're just going to keep you guessing, Julie, because we're going to knock this out of you. <laughs> but I wanted that certainty, that stability. And God was like, no, what you need is my presence. What you need is me. You think you need certainty and stability, but actually what you need is me. Because the circumstances change. Life changes. Things happen. 
Things go up and down all the time, but God's presence doesn't change. His purposes are eternal. His plans for you are set. Like, he doesn't change, and he's the one that we need to anchor ourselves to. And I felt often at times that God owed me because of how much we'd sacrificed, because we'd given up the car and the house and all of our friends and family. We don't know anybody in, the, in Australia when we came. And I felt like somehow God owed me something until I realized God owes me nothing. <laughs> he doesn't owe me anything. He doesn't have to do anything else for me ever again, and he would still already have done enough. That sufficiency and fullness and completeness of who he is, is enough. He hadn't promised me plain sailing, but he had promised me his presence. And that had to be enough. And what that was, was a dying to self, which is a long and painful process because we're always with us. We just don't go away. We're always there. And so when God leads you down a journey of dying to yourself, it's not what you want. You have to sacrifice your desires how you think things should go. If you want to get really good at this, you get married. All of the married people in the room know this, that marriage is just like a long, long protracted time of you dying to yourself and serving somebody else and that other person dying to what they want and serving you if you married the right person. So you get really good at this when you're married. But it's, it's this sense that... When we die to ourselves, when we die to what we want, when we die to how we think things should go and the control that we want, that's hard, difficult, and messy work. But it's worth the fight. Because when you hold on to actually God is everything, he's what I need. I need him more than I need the answer to my prayer. I need him more than I need my breakthrough. I need him more than I need the answers. I need him more than I need to understand what's going on. I need him more than feeling like I have it all together or that things are comfortable. I need him more than anything else. He becomes sufficient to us. I wonder if the keyboardist could come back up, please. I want to finish with this thought. If you can settle in your heart this morning that God is good, that he is sovereign, that his timing is perfect, that he is enough for you. If you can settle those four things, these four lessons that I've learned on the long road, that he's good, he's sovereign, his timing is perfect, and that he is enough for you, then I promise you there is no storm too wild, no road too long, no problem too complex, no unanswered prayer too big that can shake the foundation of your faith. If you settle these four things, and if you're in that time where you're on a long road, you're on a long journey, you've got unanswered prayers, you've got questions, then I'm going to hazard a guess that it's one of these four things that is just being tested. It's attacking your grip on one of these four truths, that God is good, that he is sovereign, that his timing is perfect, and that he is actually all that you need. And so if you're in that time of shaking, I really encourage you, now's the time to sink your anchor a little deeper, to dig your roots a little deeper, to immerse yourself in the word of God a little more, to press into his presence in a way that you haven't done before. It's so rare that the good times 
teach us about these things. It'd be really nice if they did, but they don't. We enjoy these things in the good times. I'm really enjoying the sovereignty of God right now because it's all good. But it's the hard times that teach us this. It's the times of trouble. It's the times of attack. It's the times of question. It's the times of what are you doing, God? I can't see how this is going to end. It's those times where the depth is dug, where foundations are laid and strengthened, where the anchors of the soul are sunk, and when we learn to trust a God that is bigger than what we understand. And so this morning, I want to pray for you as I finish, that if you're, if you're in that season of unanswered questions and things not being the way that you would want, I want to encourage you this morning, God's not forgotten you. He's not abandoned you. His arm is not too short to come and save. He's not, you know, put you on the back burner because he's looking after somebody else. Even with everything going on in the world, he still cares about you and your circumstance and your questions and your prayers and the things that are tender in your heart that you're like, God, will you do that? Will he ever see that? And he cares and he loves you. And he wanted you this morning to be encouraged that he is good, that he's sovereign, that his timing is perfect, and that this morning he's what you need. You might feel like you need an answer to prayer, but no, this morning you need a God that answers prayer. That's who you need first. So why don't you close your eyes this morning? I'm going to pray for you. If that's you this morning, and you're like, yes, Jules, that's me. You've kind of hit a nerve a little bit. There's something long-term that I'm going through, and I just need some strength and some peace this morning. I'd love to know who I'm praying for. So if that's you, would you just be really brave and just pop your hand up just so that I can see. Awesome, I can see your hands going up all over the place. Amazing. So, Father, for every person that raised their hand, Lord, I pray this morning that you'll bring strength and you'll bring comfort and that you'll guide them. Lord, I pray that they sink the anchor of their soul deeper into your goodness. That, Lord, as the attack comes on your sovereignty, that we understand that it's you that are in control and that you're good. That, Father, your timing is perfect and that it's you that we need this morning. So I pray for every circumstance represented in the room today. Lord, I pray that you bring breakthrough, that you move heaven and earth, Lord, that you work all things together for these people who love you this morning, that you'll bring strength and comfort, Holy Spirit, when it feels like we can't go on anymore, when we don't have any strength left, that we'll come to the rock that is higher than I, that we'll hide ourselves in the shadow of your wings, that we'll find strength in your presence, that we'll lift up our eyes to where our help comes from. Our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He's not going to let your foot stumble. He's not going to let you slip, but he's going to sing over you and rejoice over you this morning. So I pray, Holy Spirit, you bring comfort to every heart, that you bring courage to this congregation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.